0: Does the economy, education, and age have anything to do with morality and ethics? Stick around, and we'll get into it. Welcome to WCKS, where we can keep silent about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome back to the program. I appreciate you joining me for another episode. I'm your host, Michael Russell, and today I'm going to attempt to review another Pew Research study. That was released July twentieth of twenty twenty. It has the title, "The Gosp- I'm sorry, "The Global God Divide." The subtitle for this article says, "People's thoughts on whether belief in God is necessary to be moral vary by eco- economic development, education, and age." Now, from just the title. I could immediately launch into a discussion on morality and ethics and the fact that they need to be based on God's word, period. Not based on my opinion or what they should be based on or whether my income or age or education dictates a belief in God and morality. But I don't want to go there and just make this a short contemptuous show. That wouldn't be good now, would it? In fact, uh, I I think it would be a disservice to the Pew Research Organization, uh, since this is definitely a pretty lengthy and extreme research effort that was done. Pew Research is a reputable research organization, and I want to start by reading some of the highlights I made from the article. Now, I want to note that in the description of this episode, I left a link Of the actual article online so please click on that in addition as I may mention later in the in the episode I also made references to the scriptures that I'm gonna be using throughout this episode with that let's get into the article and right off the bat I want to read the first few sentences it reads quote what is the connection between belief in God and morality and how important are God and prayer in people's lives? Pew Research Center poses these questions to 38,426 people in 34 countries in 2019, end quote. Now, to discuss what countries the survey was conducted in, we have in North and South America, we have America, Canada, Mexico, Brazil, and Argentina. In Africa, we have uh, Tunisia, Nigeria, Kenya, and South Africa. In Western Europe, we have Spain, the UK, France, Netherlands, Germany, Italy, Czech Republic, Hungary, Poland, Sweden, Lithuania, Slovakia, Ukraine, Bulgaria, Turkey, and Greece. We also have Russia, India, Lebanon, and Israel. Indonesia, Australia, Japan, South Korea, and the Philippines. So, a vast group was surveyed. In the article, there is a map that shows the percentage of those polled that believe it is necessary to believe in God in order to be moral and have good values. Going through the, member, uh, the numbers, the lowest percentage that responded positively to that position was in Sweden at just nine percent. While tied to the tied at the top were both the Philippines and Indonesia, both scoring ninety-six percent. So ninety-six percent of Philippine Filipinos and Indonesians say that it is necessary to believe in God in order to be moral and have good values. And just as a anecdotal point the United States scored 44%. So only 44% of those surveyed. Now, according to the article, across the quote, across the 34 countries which span six continents, a median of 45% say it is necessary to believe in God to be moral and have good values. As the article continues to break down the findings, it shows, quote, people in emerging economies include, included in this survey tend to be more religious and more likely to consider religion to be important in their lives. And they are also more likely than people in the survey who live in advanced economies to say that belief in God is necessary to be moral, end quote. There's another graphic in the article, and I encourage you to go to that article to see it. But there's another graphic in the article that shows overall only 45% versus 51% hold that a belief in God is necessary in order to be moral and have good values. While within the same survey numbers, a majority of those surveyed answered positively to the following questions. First question being, God plays an important role in my life. 61% yes, 33% no. Next question, prayer plays an important role in my life. 53% yes, 44% no. And the third question, religion is very or somewhat important in my life. 62% yes, 34% no. So the personal responses to these questions, you know, the independent, what's important to me responses, reflected more people hold, in a positive way, these individual views. You know, what do I believe? And yet, overall, a minority, 45%, believe that it is necessary to believe in God in order to be moral or have good values. Now, I felt that was interesting, at least. The article doesn't suggest why these percentages are as they are, but I speculate that those of individual decisions... They're just rep- representing themselves. I'm I'm speculating that there's probably some sort of humanistic, uh, secularistic kind of position here. That what's good for me and what's truth for me is truth for me. Whatever your truth is is your your issue, and maybe a feeling of uh, judgmentalism uh, might be pervasive in the more uh, economies that are advanced. I'll just say it that way. But again, that's just my opinion. That's a speculation. But let's continue in the article. Uh, it continues to break down some trends. And it says, quote, Russia has seen an 11% point increase since 2002. Remember this now as a survey in 2019. So less than 20 years. 11% point increase since 2002 in the share who say belief in God is necessary to have good values, while Ukraine has seen an 11 point drop in the the same question. So aside from Russia, or I'm still quoting, and aside from Russia, only two other countries, Bulgaria and Japan have seen a significant increase in the share of their publics who hold this opinion. Bulgaria had a 17 point increase while Japan had a 10 point increase respectively. In addition to Ukraine, four other countries, Mexico, Turkey, South Korea, and the United States, have seen significant decreases in the percentage of their publics who say belief in God is necessary to be moral, end quote. Now, I am in America, as many of you know, I'm in California, one of the more liberal states in the Union, and this is not a surprise to me, as a Christian man even, um, to see that a significant decrease in people that believe that it is necessary to have a relationship with God to be moral, or to believe in God to be moral. The American generally America is going away from God. They're throwing God out. And through this article and through my observations, I think we'll see why and and we'll we'll try to answer that. So let's continue. A more uh, summary segment reflects of the survey, quote, overall, respondents in nations with lower gross domestic product are more likely to say that belief in God is necessary to be moral and have good value, end quote. So it goes on and gives some examples. Quote, in Kenya, which has the lowest GDP per capita, of all 34 nations included in the survey, and their per capita GDP is $4,500, 4509 per person on average, annual salary, 95% of them responded that belief in God is the integral to being moral. This is still a quote. In contrast, only 9% of the respondents in Sweden which has one of the highest GDPs per capita of the nation surveyed, 55,815 per person in 2019, say belief in God is necessary to be moral. So only 9% of Swedes say that, whereas 95% of Kenyans say that. It goes on and says, on an individual basis, those who earn at or above the median income threshold in most nations are significantly less likely to say that belief in God is necessary for morality. End quote. Hmm. Quite telling as far as I'm concerned. Then regarding age, we break it down this way. Quote, Most countries surveyed display generational gaps on the question of whether belief in God is necessary in order to be moral and have good values. In keeping with past analyses that found younger adults are generally less religious by several measures, 18 to 29-year-olds are the least likely to say it is necessary to believe in God to be moral. In contrast, those ages 50 and older are significantly more likely than those 18 to 29 to think that belief in God is necessary for morality." Now, with regard to education, we read, quote, In most European and North American countries surveyed, individuals with more education are less likely to say that belief in God is necessary to be moral. This pattern closely tracks the connection between income levels and the way people answer the questions, because there is a significant correlation between education attainment and earnings, end quote. In a summary statement, once again, the article notes, quote, just as respondents in wealthier countries tend to disagree that it is necessary to believe in God to be a moral person, people in wealthier countries generally say that God and prayer are not especially important in their lives. People in emerging economies are more, like, more than twice as likely as people in advanced economies to agree that prayer is an important part of daily life. Nine in ten or more respondents in all the emerging economies surveyed, except for Ukraine, say that God plays an important role in their lives. What What a statistic. In contrast, less than half of the respondents in the 11 of the economically advanced countries surveyed, consider God to be important in life. 96% of those in emerging com- uh, economies say that prayer is an important part of daily life. End quote. Man, these are, these are a bit overwhelming, quite frankly. There's parts of these surveys that, to me, are, are just like, wow, really, But enough of the reading of the details of the article. Let's attempt to isolate what I think we can from these statements, just to boil it down. It seems at the heart of the details is money or finances. What do I mean when I say and how how, how do I come to that conclusion? Well, let's see. If we talk about education, we know that to be educated, at least formally, it takes money. As, as a matter of fact, the article says, and I quote again, In most European and North American countries surveyed, individuals with more education are less likely to say that belief in God is necessary to be moral. This pattern closely tracks the connection between income levels and the way people answer the question. Because there is a significant correlation between education attainment and earnings, end quote. Now, in addition to this, just kind of off the cuff, to make a better life, it takes money, at least in one level. Uh, For example, to eat and have a roof over your heads take money. Uh, Even in the article, it states, quote, overall, respondents in nations with lower gross domestic product are more likely to say that belief in God is necessary to be moral and have good values, end quote. Now, you may ask, how does that, quote, support money as the root of this dilemma? And I think it's because those that are poor and needy are more open to God and willing to depend on God, so that their belief in God influences their morality. And they realize, as they look around, the the difference between what God says morally is right and wrong, and what the world is saying morally is right and wrong. So when they look at those financially better off than them, they see them being less interested in God, less dependent on God, and often more immoral, willing to hurt others for gain, or, or willing to lie and cut corners, uh, you know, moral, moral gaps, and so on and so forth. So how do we break this down? Well, as a Christian and a believer in the Bible, I'm going to focus on what I believe to be the only real objective source of truth, and that is the Bible. And I want to also make a few references from Dr. Scott Ray. R-A-E is his last name. He uh, wrote a book, one of maybe many, uh, it happened to be a textbook of mine in college on ethics, and the, the book is called Moral Choices, An Introduction to Ethics. Dr. Ray is a professor at Talbot Theological, or Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. He earned his Ph.D. in social ethics uh, at the University of Southern California. And Dr. Ray writes, quote, Morality is ultimately grounded in the character of God, that is, The ultimate source of morality is not God's commands, but God's character. The virtues or character traits that are made clear by God's character and further clarified by Jesus' character are the ultimate foundation for morality from a Christian worldview. God's commands are derived from his character. God issues the commands that he does because he is the kind of God that he is. For example, God commands that we love our neighbors, ultimately not because love makes the world go round, though that result is surely a good thing, but because he is that kind of God. In addition, God mandates that we be forgiving people, not primarily because forgiveness restores relationships, though that is clearly true, but because God is fundamentally a forgiving God. The virtues, then, are primary, and the moral principles, or God's commands, are derived from them. End quote. So in summary, Dr. Ray is saying morality and ethics are derived from God's character and should drive us to be like him, ultimately. The believer has the Holy Spirit living inside them. And the Holy Spirit's job is to mold and shape our lives into the image of Jesus Christ, moving on us to live holy and sanctified lives. Sanctified means to be set apart, to be different. Different than what? Well, ultimately different than the world. <laughs> this can only be achieved by God in us. And it is through praying to God in a submissive, reverent way, studying His Word, living and loving others, and fellowshipping with the family of God, that we begin to know Him and His character more in order to be like Him. Then we really begin to see morally and ethically, which should result in our own lives changing and how we treat others. And for Christians who are wealthy, God will move in their heart to care for the poor and the needy, not only financially, but moreover, with the gospel that changes their lives. That is true love. And we all learn over time that all we have in our life circumstances are providentially given to us by God. And I'm going to read our very first passage coming out of the book of Acts that bolsters this truth. Now, the story I'm going to pick up on is in Acts chapter 17, and it just so happens the Apostle Paul is in Greece, and he is in Athens, Greece, the city center. He's walking around, and he sees all kinds of temples that are built for all these different gods, a bunch of idolatry, but he comes across a unique one, and he uses that to go to a place called the Areopagus. And that is kind of the center of the city, city center, um, where all the orators, all the, all the philosophers and those that are preachers, so to speak, will gather and uh, take their turn to talk to the community. And the community is filled with a bunch of thinkers and philosophers, and they just like to hear new knowledge and all that kind of stuff. So Paul takes advantage of that model that is built into their system. And he starts off in verse 22 and says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. From one man, every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they may feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring." Such a powerful, powerful sermon and passage of scripture. I encourage you to review it more fully. And like I said, a link to that section of scripture, Acts 17, 22 through 28, is in the description. And not only read that, but read read a little bit more of the chapter. Read, read a lot more of the chapter. It is gonna be very beneficial to you. Now, the reason I pulled on this passage first was to support my position that everything we have even our jobs, our house our, our education was given by God was given by God now you, you don't have to believe me this is what scripture tells me and I believe the scripture is the word of God and whether or not you believe in it does not make it right in my op- opinion the fact that God said it makes it right okay And when we're talking about the Bible, we want to kind of wrap our heads around what the Bible is. And a definition, a working definition we can use is, The Bible is inspired by God, is without error, and does not misrepresent the facts. It is entirely trustworthy and is the final authority on everything it teaches. I would go on to say, in fact, to disbelieve the Bible is to disbelieve God himself. God's Word should be our ultimate standard of truth. And we ought to be reading and meditating on it regularly, daily, as often as possible in a day. Now back to the episode. (laughs) As the article discussed, it seems as though those who have much need less of God. And in fact, I would agree with that statement in the context of that those that are wealthy oftentimes see their security in that wealth. So they don't need God. But to be clear, everybody absolutely needs God. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and the wages of sin is death. So all of us need a Savior. So I am simply saying I agree in context that those that are wealthy often say, "Huh, I don't need God. Why? I'm doing real well on my own. Let's dive into several passages to make the point of money being the central issue here of the survey, in my opinion, and how often it results in turning away from God, seeing life in a very shallow and sinful way, where we have much here and now, why on earth do I need anything related to God? This mindset simply affirms the truth that, to most people, God is simply our servant, or uh, he's simply there to give us what we want, or maybe even what we need, but we're in control. He's a servant to us, so to speak. Obviously, I disagree with that, but let's read. I'm going to kick us off with a story in the Gospel of Mark. It's also represented in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm reading Mark's version, and it's the dialogue Jesus has with a rich young ruler. Fairly common passage for those that are familiar with the Bible. I'm going to pick up in chapter 10, verse 17 of Mark, and it says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. "'Why do you call me good?' Jesus answered. "'No one is good except God alone. "'You know the commandments. "'You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, "'you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, "'you shall not defraud. "'Honor your mother and father.' "'Teacher,' he declared, "'all these I have kept since I was a boy.' The disciples were amazed at his word, but Jesus again said, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I say to you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home and brothers and sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. Along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last will be first. So much in this passage, folks. Man. But for our focus, it's on wealth. And more importantly, the love of this wealth. Keep focused on that. It's not simply wealth. Okay, It's not just having money. Remember, the simple passage from 1 Timothy 6 says, I'll pick up in verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So powerful, guys. And it's so sad. We in America live in the richest nation in the world right now. And the pursuit of money and riches and gain is all around us. I have five kids and by God's grace, many of them see the futility of the pursuit of money. And in fact, other priorities outweigh that. At the cost of the pursuit of riches. For example, time with family versus overtime at work however how many times have I myself prayed that if God would bless me with a certain dollar amount to pay off my debt for example then I could serve him more freely and 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 do things for him and I would I would be more involved with the poor and so on and so forth some some sort of deal making that I've attempted to make with God sinful flat out sinful in fact because I put myself into debt and I'm so burdened with my financial responsibilities is why I run back to him and say, save me. Praise the Lord. I have a beautiful wife who's definitely working that debt down. I mean, we are almost completely out of debt. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Contentment doesn't come with money, folks. The Apostle Paul makes a statement that I've learned to be content in every circumstance. And you and I both know life throws circumstances at us every day. Some good, some bad, some horrible. And how is it that we find contentment in any one of those? Outside of God, it's impossible, quite frankly. There's not enough um, things to suppress it. Alcohol, drugs, sex, you know, money, whatever. Whatever. It's also an interesting anecdote how many people um, that are wealthy and even on the top of their game, famous movie stars, musicians, whatever, are just woefully depressed and many take their lives. It's a sad, sad commentary on the world and the wealth of the world driven by the enemy. But let's look at a few more passages. In Job 21, we read verse 7 and following Why do the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? They see their children established around them, their offspring before their eyes. Their homes are safe and free from fear. The rod of God is not on them. Their bulls never fail to breed, and their cows calve and do not miscarry. They send forth their children as a flock. Their little ones dance about. They sing to the music of the timbrel and the lyre. And they make merry sounds, uh, merry to the sound of the pipe. They spend their years in prosperity and go down to the grave in peace. Yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? What would we gain by praying to him. But their prosperity is not in their own hands. So I stand aloof from the plans of the wicked. Boy, what a passage that is. And it is, isn't it just like us humans, from a human perspective? When we look at the rich around us, have we ever thought, Man, I wish I made it like he did, or she did, or I wish I was in their shoes. Or why don't they ever suffer? Seems like they don't ever seem to suffer and I'm suffering all over the place or things like that. But notice Job's comment in verse 16. It says, but their prosperity is not in their own hands. Hmm. Job seems to suggest that the prosperity of these people is not in their own hands and that he suggests that these are wicked people. The second half of that says, so I stand aloof from the plans of their of the wicked. So there seems to be, in his assessment, those people are wicked. Okay, we can further build upon this in Deuteronomy 8, and I'll pick up in verse 11. God, uh, Moses is talking to Israel, and he says, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, falling, I'm sorry, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, When you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery; He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble you and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord, your God. It is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your ancestors, as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord, your God, and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations... The Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. (laughs) Sobering truth. Folks, this is truth. This is God. And it's his universe. And he's telling us clearly that he is the provider, the strength, the hope of the nations. He is the savior of the world. And when it comes to economy, education, and age, are these factors regarding morality? From one perspective, I'd say yes. There is a reason Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell everything he had and give it away. Then come and follow him. Think. When is it that a person's estate is sold and the money given away? When does that happen to somebody? It surely isn't when they're alive. I mean, if Mary and Mary and John are are retired and sitting in their house, it's all paid off and everything's good, and all of a sudden a realtor comes in and sells their house under them. That isn't the way it works. <laughs> no. It happens when someone dies. When someone dies, then they go and they they you know put the estate up for sale and sell everything and and maybe give it to charity or something to that effect. So so what, what is Jesus saying to the young man? Remember, he asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus first answered, in essence, obey the law, which the man believed he had done his whole life. However, the apostle Paul tells us clearly that obeying the law will never save us and that the law was simply put there to make us aware that we're sinners. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So why, why did Jesus tell the man to obey the law? Well, in fact, it was to make him realize that he couldn't obey the law. And it was important that, that a person come to see that Every one of us need to recognize works righteousness will not pay the debt of sin that we owe to God. And and in fact, the standard of the law, do these things, don't do these things, we can't even reach it. Now, if we want to downplay it and say, well, I've never murdered, it says, do not murder, thou shalt not murder. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount clarifies that and says, if you so much as hate another, you've committed murder in your heart says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And Jesus clarifies at the Sermon on the Mount. If you so much look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So it's not simply an act of action. It's not simply obeying the active command and saying, well, I never murdered. I never physically touched a woman and had an adulterous relationship. No, 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 no. It's a, it's a matter of the heart. And we're all guilty. We're all guilty. So, Jesus tries to bring him around to see that by bringing him to the law, but he pridefully looks past that. He says, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. So Jesus takes it a step further, but it's interesting to note how he does it. It says in the, in the passage, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Folks, this is the way it is. God loves us. Truly, he loves us. Despite what the world teaches, if you loved us, you wouldn't have all these... These evil things wouldn't be here and sickness and all this stuff. No, those things are there because of sin. And God loved us so much, he sent his son to die in our place to pay the debt of sin. So in this passage the Mark 10 passage, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. In other words, die to yourself and then come follow me. Friends, if this article today didn't bring you conviction, I trust you're already saved. You're born again by the grace of God. And you're living out the great commission to bringing the gospel love to the nations. In fact, not only would that support them financially in some capacity, but more importantly, give them true life. True life found only in Jesus Christ. If you were convicted and you're a believer and you realize you're not necessarily walking with the Lord well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's just say it like that. Praise the Lord. Repent. Turn away from the practice of, Or the non committal position that you're holding and get into the game. Put on the armor of God and get into the fight, the spiritual fight. Not the rioting and all that, it's a spiritual fight through prayer, reading God's word, the sword of the Spirit, and bringing people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Bring them to the foot of the cross. Tell them about Jesus. This channel is WCKS. We can't keep silent. Don't keep silent. And if you are one of those within the nations that really don't see a relationship with God as important, you don't pray, you don't believe in prayer, you don't read his word, you don't even think we need God. You don't even believe in God. You're you're an atheist. I pray for you. I pray that the God of the universe would open your eyes to see the real need that you have for God. Remember, we all have it. And by God's grace, those of us that have reconciled to God, confessing our sinfulness and begging him to come into our life, believing that his death and resurrection paid the debt of sin and calling upon him to be saved, will be saved. The Spirit of God will indwell us. I pray for you. I pray that that may be the case. And I'm going to end our Study today, or our uh, episode today, with a last word from the writer of Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. It says, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. I want to thank you for spending the time with me in this episode. I ask you that if you really enjoyed this, you got something out of it, hit the follow button and share this with others. We would love to have this dialogue with them. Also, many of the platforms allow you to leave comments and I would love to hear from you. So leave a comment. And I look forward to having you back. I'm hoping to post in another week. And in the meantime, may God richly bless you as you open your heart to His Son. God bless.